Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Center Line. This is your Sports Psych Talk podcast. I am your host, Amber Latner. You're here with your co-host, Ryan Marshall. We are brought to you by the Center of Performance Excellence, where we are centered on performance. Driven by excellence. I like it. I like it. All <laughs> right. Well, here we go. You know, we're coming back um, this fall into University of Denver as sports psych graduate students here, working through a lot of our coursework on how to get in the minds of performers and really help us perform consistently at our upper level of excellence as often as possible. So a lot of the topics that we're going to talk about on this podcast are really looking at um, you know, current events in the sport and performance world, but through the lens of sports psychology. So we've got a couple special segments that we're going to bring up on a weekly basis. One of those is called the sports psych line. And that's really about taking a, a really kind of academic perspective, um, an academic model or concept and breaking it down for our listeners. And then also the fan play call of the day. Ryan, tell us a little bit about what that's going to be like. The fan play call of the day. Interesting thing where you guys get to get involved. Before the show, as this is a podcast and not live, before the show, we're looking for you guys to text us, Facebook us, put a little post out there. We have a question for you that we're going to pose. We want your answer. We want a little feedback. It's going to fuel our discussion in here. Hopefully, we can get something good out of it. Absolutely. And that fan play call of the day that we've posted for today is, who do you have for the College Football National Championship and the NFL Super Bowl for 2013 season? So keep that in mind. We'll be throwing those answers back out at you towards the end of the podcast today. Yeah, that's how we're going to wrap it up. All right, Ryan, so let's get a brief little intro here. Uh, my name is Amber Latner. I did my undergraduate work at the University of Notre Dame, where I was a soccer player and led Notre Dame Christian athletes through our athletic department there, and really just passionate about helping athletes and coaches better understand their identity so that they can be more fulfilled individuals and then be baller status on the field uh, and off in, in life as well. So worked in corporate America for a while and now just pursuing my heart and my passion in this athletic space through the lens of sports psychology. Love it. Love you. <laughs> All right. I'm Ryan Marshall, homegrown, All-American, boy from out west, young gun, haven't been in the game very long as far as uh, real, real world stuff that Amber's talking about, but I was straight out of college. Uh, went to school at Oregon State, just graduated last June psychology. It's been my thing. I'm a people person more than anything else. Moving into sports psych, sports is a huge part of my world. Sports and people combining, that's sports psych for me. How can I help them? How can I be around it? How can I uh, pursue excellence? That's awesome. Yeah. So, so again, Ryan and I are both graduate students here at the University of Denver in sport and performance psychology, both with athletic backgrounds, um, both couple with I have a business background like I said uh, Ryan has a psychology background but really here to just drive this concept of sports psych to educate the public on what is that is it just about dealing with head cases or, or how would you define it so far Ryan so Ryan's a first year in the program um, he's been at it now for a couple months I'm a second year in our program set to graduate next June but for you how has how has sports psychology been redefined in your mind since just your short amount of time in our program so far I think the biggest thing that I can say about this is that it's about uh, pursuing an excellence and a performance ideal more than helping a, like a, an issue or a problem. And so for me, I think that's the biggest thing is that what we do is provide athletes a way to get better. And that could mean, you know, perfecting an issue or a problem that they have, but also making them better at what they do, taking them from what they think is their top level and pushing them beyond that top level. Absolutely. You know, just like you can train your body physically, you can train your mind mentally. And you don't wait to go to the weight room and start getting on that bench when you get 
pancaked on the football field. You start that well in advance in preseason, and the same goes with the mental game. So we're really here to, to now we're going to move into our rundown for the day. What are we going to be talking about? And we're going to look at this re- World Series returning to Boston for the first time for a season clincher since 1918. Then we're going to look at, at really the NCAA and how they're being pressed right now to really start considering the mental health of their college athletes. Um, Ryan and I both had the opportunity to go down to New Orleans. I did not. Ryan made that up. I thought I saw Ryan there. He's all over the place here in Denver, so I just assumed he made it down to NOLA. You missed out, brother. I missed out. No, I know. I'll um, be in Vegas next year. Oh, yeah, I know, right? That'll be great, too. So we were down in uh, the rest of us, or a lot of us for our cohorts, uh, were down in New Orleans earlier this fall um, at the national or the annual sports psychology conference. So we're going to talk a little bit about what w- what went down down there and how that relates to what we're talking about today. And then we're going to look at this NFL quarterback situation. Uh, really, it, it's been a wild run for quarterbacks this year in the NFL, so we're going to break that down a bit. And finally, bringing up our sports psych line that we mentioned earlier about this concept of mindfulness, and Ryan's going to break that down for us a bit. So the important thing to see here is that we're big on education. We're here, we're sports psych, we're students, we're all about education, but we're about entertainment too. You know, this is a podcast, we want you guys to be entertained. We like to, to, to talk about these entertainment things. And so we're going to bring that to you as well. All right. Well, here we go. Let's get started. World Series returns to Boston for the first time for a Red Sox clincher since 1918. Ryan, what's that got to be like for these guys? Wicked. Wicked. (laughs) Wicked up there in Boston. Absolutely. I was waiting for you to lead me into that. You know, I'm not a huge professional baseball fan, um, but I can appreciate what's going on there. And the thing that I noted more than anything else that they got there is a revitalization of the fans of a United Fenway coming out after those Boston bombings and the slow start they had to the season to really pursue the rest of the the rest of the season and uh, come united as a as I said as a park and a team and I think one of the biggest leaders of that uh, revitalization was David Ortiz. Absolutely. I mean, and he came in with pure emotion. That's what it was more than anything else. And he's leading not only with that emotion in, in his voice but also with his emotion at the plate. He's got the highest batting average, I think. Like, well, that's an overstatement. I'm just going to say the statistic right here. It's he's got a 733 uh, batting average right now. Yeah, and that's huge. And I think you hit it. I, hit, I think you hit it with that concept of team, right? So the Red Sox had one hell of a year in 2011, right? Where they uh, bottom of the bottom of their league, and now you know they've got players being ridiculous in the in the dugout yeah, and fans. Yeah, yeah. I think they they didn't sell Fenway out for the first time in nearly. 90 years, and that's huge. I mean, so again, I went to the University of Notre Dame, and our stadium's been sold out for our football team since forever, right? And it would be, we we hit a couple years there where we were wondering if we were going to sell out, and and that's a big deal for an organization, and for an organization like the Red Sox that's been around forever. Um, you got to wonder, how can how can a team have that much impact on a city? But yet, you mentioned the bombings, right? And, and, and Boston Strong. What does that say? What does that say to the athletes? And what does that say to the fans, Ryan? Well, I mean, that's a broad question and not being part of that system. It's tough yeah. for me to say. But from an outsider perspective, I think that anytime you disengage the fans with the way the team's acting, and I mean, again, not being part of it, but as I see... They're, they're a unified group, and they, they really value it. You know, you talk about it being a huge part of the uh, of the city, and maybe it should be, maybe it shouldn't be, but the re- reality is that it, it is that way. And so the fact that they care that much, they, they 
hold their athletes to a high standard. And when the athletes kind of disengaged from that and did things that the fans didn't necessarily approve of, uh, you know, uh, it's just the way things are, and it's going to reflect in the way they play and the way, you know, the fans support them. And as everybody knows, fans are huge. Pro sports wouldn't exist without the fans. It's just a fact. Yeah, absolutely. And and you see their whole facial hair thing going on, yeah, right? Love it. And that's love it. From a from a team dynamic standpoint, that's one of those things. And if you're not a Boston fan, you probably want them to shave that crap <laughs> off their face. <laughs> I, I understand that. But at the same time, it's something that's drawing them together. It's something that's distinguishing them as as a team, as a unit, and what they're about to go out there and do. Again, first time since 1918 that they have a chance to to clinch the World Series in Game Six. And you know, we read the I, I found this article on this 97 year old lady who she was three the last time that they won the World Series at home, and she said she's staying up to watch this game in the nursing home. And I just think that. You know, it's amazing, I think, what sports have the opportunity to do um, to individual lives, to individual people, and, and to draw a city together, particularly after such a bad season and after such horrific things going on um, in the city. Well, and you just made a good point that it matters to the city that it's in the city. Talking to a couple of Boston fans here before our show, you know, the curse is lifted. That's one thing they said. You know, it's not necessarily about that, but they haven't had the chance to clinch at home. Since what? Since 1913, you said, yeah? 1918. 1918. Yep. 1918. And so it, it matters to them, and it's, it's something that they truly actually do care about. Not only that, we've got a rookie, rookie starting pitching for him. Oh, that's huge, yeah. What's his mindset going to be like going into the game tonight? You know, I can only guess, but i got to assume that he probably doesn't know the gravity of the situation that he's in. That, that would be my, my thought process on it, is he's, he's pitched nine games this year. And um, five of them have been in the playoffs. So, I mean, he's probably thinking that he's rolling. He's 5-0 and in the playoffs, and he's now got the chance to pitch for the World Series to clinch the, clinch the, the title. I mean, he's probably just living the dream. Yeah, he's got to. That's that's exciting for him. And and speaking of that, you know, one of my favorite quotes uh, is from Henry Ford, and he said, "I want I want a factory full of guys that do not know what can't be done." And I think that that's the beauty when we're talking about young players, right? About young kids in the workplace, even this millennial thing that we hear so much about. I mean. People at that age, our age, we don't know what can't be done. So let's go out and make some greatness. And I think that's beautiful, but now we're going to get to the nitty-gritty. Do you think they do it? Do you think that Boston clinches in Boston? I'm going to go with yes. Red Sox in. I disagree. I think the the pitcher fails. He has too much uh, weight on his shoulders. He crumbles. St. Louis takes it, and we go to Game 7. I say the city unites, the team unites. they got a grit going on that it's going to be a dogfight, and it's going to be a great game to watch. I love it. I agree. So you, you're listening to the Centerline Podcast, Sports Psych Talk Radio. Podcast. I'm used to saying Sports Psych Talk Radio here, but we're on podcast We're now, radio so. people. We both got radio <laughs> backgrounds. You know, that's Sports the way Centerline, the Centerline Sports Psych Podcast here, breaking down uh, the World Series, some NFL quarterback situation. But before we get to that, let's move on to this NCAA um, being pressed to really consider the mental health of their college athletes. Who's making that press, Ryan, and and why do you think that it's important? So I think the, the most important part about this whole deal is who is pushing this to be happening. And it's the National Athletic Training Association. Those are the, your athletic trainers, your physical therapists, all who are involved in the athletic, uh, the athletic department as full-time staff. Now, that's huge because they're working with the players pretty much every day. Mm-hmm. They see what's going on. They know all the back, you know, the back alley stories. They know everything that's going on 
from what they see day to day in the players' minds and what the players talk about. So I think it's a huge deal that these people are leading the charge from the inside. Yeah, and and so we talked earlier uh, when we started the show today about kind of two elements really to sports psychology. There's there's one element that is about performance enhancement, right? So like you you condition in the weight room, you can condition your mind to get bigger, faster, stronger, more accurate, more focused, more confident. There's the other side of sports psychology, which is helping athletes overcome either mental blocks that they have or even psychological issues. The most prevalent that we see among college athletes are depression, anxiety, and substance abuse. So with that said, the National Athletic Trainers Association is pushing the NCA to say, hey, listen, there is a stigma around mental health, and these athletes are not going to seek the mental health professionals that they need. And it's important to note that those mental health professionals, they exist at the university. Every university has a counseling center. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a big thing, but athletes don't want to go there. There's a stigma around that, like you said. There is. I mean, as an athlete, right, we're trained to, to push harder, go further. If it hurts, break through it. You got to deal with it. And so, unfortunately, we're trans, our athletes are translating that mindset to the depression that they're facing after injury, to the anxiety that they feel as a highly touted recruit coming in and now not getting any playing time. And so because they think they should just be able to fight through this stuff, it's having some negative effects on their overall well-being. And the trainers are seeing this. And they're just letting, like you're talking about those negative effects, it's just letting the illnesses and these issues that they have just propagate and get worse. You know, If you don't seek help for depression, you don't seek help for anxiety, you're going to either find some uh, wrong way of dealing with it, which could be substance abuse, Mm -hmm. which is another issue, or it's just going to like tear you up and you're just going to fail. It does. It, and, you know, these psychological issues often manifest themselves in physical symptoms and physical issues, whether that's, you know, increased blood pressure, uh, you know, stress, anxiety, tension. Dietary issues. Absolutely. And so, you know, again, these trainers know that these kids are facing these issues. And, you know, as a former college athlete, trainers know everything. For whatever reason, it is a safe place athletes to talk share to trainers. Oh, everything. Yeah. It's like I the mean, barber. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You go in at 9 a.m. And by right. 9 a.m., you know, the trainers already know what went down last night. Oh, for yeah. the better or worse. Yeah. So, you know, I think that it's important that they're seeing it and the NCAA is really starting to open their eyes to the struggles that, that athletes are often facing but not sure where to go. Now, now with that said, Ryan, um, I'm going to transition into this um, the ASP review. So ASP is the Applied Association for Sports Psychology. And we had our annual conference down in New Orleans, which I forgot that you were not able to attend. Which I'm offended by, that you forgot that. I I, well, and I thought you were there. You no, yeah. I just thought you were well, there. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. am so excited that yeah. your presence is always, <laughs> you know, typically near me. That I was I, there in spirit, you, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, but one of my favorite parts and, and one of the biggest opportunities I had uh, from a learning perspective was going to a seminar put on by the University of Missouri and put on by the sports psychologist down there, Dr. Rick McGuire, and his entire team of people. Now, Mizzou has successfully integrated sports psychology into every, nearly every aspect of their athletic department, including strength and conditioning, including 
uh, athletic nutrition, academic services for student athletes. Now they they understand the the mental health needs of their athletes, and they also understand the stigma around it. So what they've done at Mizzou is actually take this clinical or counseling psychologist who typically would sit in a different building across campus in the counseling center and moved her into the athletic department to sit right down the hall from the sports psychologist, from the nutritionist, and from the head strength coaches, and really saying, you know what, hey, if you've got one of these mental issues, if you're depressed, or if you're, you know, coming back from injury, step on in and see her. This is normal. This is just what we do here. And I think that that's the type of climate that we need to start pushing in our athletic departments at the university level. I completely agree. And, and putting somebody in the athletic department just immediately creates a, a vibe and a feeling of safety and understanding. By, from the athlete, you know, because everything the athlete does is within the athletic department. They study in the athletic mm-hmm. department. They get their classes, you know, through the athletic department. They have their friends through the athletic department, the other other sports and their teams. It's just, it's a thing that they're just surrounded by constantly. Every staff that, of the university that they associate with outside of their professors is someone through the athletic, uh, the athletic department. Absolutely. And what, what we know too from a uh, uh, kind of research academic or professional standpoint, if you will, the most important part or one of the most important parts in kind of this, if you want to go therapist client relationship is the relationship between those individuals. And so having that person sitting in the athletic department means that you walk by their door every day, you see them in the hallway, you got to say hi to them if they look at you and smile and wave, you know, yeah. and so you do that enough and then one day when that person walks by your office, they're just going to stop and be like, can we chat for a hot second? And, and I think that those are the walls and barriers that we need to break down to help really tap into the mental health issues that I think are way more prevalent than we even know right now. Yeah, yeah. So I know you weren't there, um, but we've had a, <laughs> you have a lot of friends that were down in New Orleans at this conference. What is one thing that you took away from our annual sports site conference just from uh, the feedback that we, you got once we all returned to Denver? Yeah, so I got a, a lot of the review. You know, I, I sat in on those sessions and talked to a lot of people about it because it's, you know, it's a big deal. I just didn't have the chance to get down there. And, um, I think the, one of the biggest things that I took out of it for my career, you know, I'm going to get personal a little bit is that uh, military is just is such a huge presence, high-risk occupations. It's such a huge presence in performance and, and sports psychology. It's, it's, uh, it's a way, I, I mean, you, you know the statistic on this, that, what is it? Uh, the, they're the highest, largest employer of yep. our profession. Um, they're doing some of the more advanced research, I believe, talking about biofeedback and neurofeedback. Absolutely. And so, I, I mean, the biggest thing that I got there is that it's a population that needs to be included in our, our program and is to some extent, and it's something that I want to include in my education, working with that kind of population and pursuing that kind of you know, mindset to sports psychology in the high-risk you know, side of things. Absolutely. Again, you're, you're here listening to the Centerline Sports Psych Podcast um, brought to you by Center for Performance Excellence. And what Ryan just mentioned is sport and performance psychology, right? So so we're not just looking at athletes and coaches. We're looking at performers. And, and what you hit on there is everybody's a performer. Radio people, right? We're performing we're, right now. We're performing, baby. <laughs> we're on live. And, uh, um, but, but military, doctors, lawyers, any high risk occupations and and we can business um, you know 
nannies, whatever you're doing, you're <laughs> it's it is it's all zone. performance, and it's about understanding your mindset, understanding how to to be able to focus on cue, how to to remain confident, how to stay triple C as I like to call it, under pressure, calm, cool, and collected, baby. Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, speaking of calm, cool, and collected, NFL quarterbacks. And the current situation going on in the National Football League. I don't know if any of those C's apply to what's going on with the quarterbacks in the NFL right now. It's just, it's pandemonium. (laughs) It's pandemonium out there. (laughs) They're calling Favre back. If if things aren't crazy and they're calling Favre, I don't know what's going on, okay? We will know. Yeah, so the Rams call Favre, right? And he's like, all right, easy there, guys. I'm not coming back. I'm too old for this stuff. Thank Thank God, God, right? Good Lord. Um, But on the flip (laughs) side of that, I mean, we've got 45 teams or 32 teams in the league, 45, 45 different starting starters. quarterbacks yep. Yep. already. 15 of those teams have already started two different quarterbacks this season alone. And, and it's insane. And I think one of the biggest issues here is that it's injury-related. Like, so many injuries are, are causing these kinds of things. Sure, there's some flip-flop on talent level and who's performing, but, you know, it's a knee injury here, uh, a wrist injury here. It's something, and it's, you know, I, I kind of was looking into it, and I found that it's it's – sort of related to the QBs having to run more a little bit this this year and maybe not knowing how to do that and not knowing, you know, a lot of them are Now all of a sudden right? you're wishing you've got Tebow back in there who can take a hit. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, okay, we're going to go by them that. I don't know if anybody's wishing that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and, you know, these rookie QBs that are coming in, because there's been a huge class of incoming yeah. QBs taken over um, in this generation, and, and they don't know what's on the other side of the ball. They don't know who's coming at them, you know, and how hard they're coming at them. Yeah, and, and again, you know, we go back to the work that we do, and and we're talking about certain mental skills, right? Teaching people how to focus, all these different elements. I keep using focus, so I'm sorry. But composure, <laughs> confidence, confidence, awareness, motivation, all those different elements. But it's also going then onto the field with these guys and, and helping them understand where are you looking when you get the snap? How are you running through your progression? How is your decision making? What's your vision like? Are you seeing the gaps? Are you seeing the secondary defense back there coming at you? And sometimes it's just about getting on that level with our players and our athletes or our performers and and helping them kind of shift what they're seeing, what they're seeing uh, physically in front of them, but also what they're seeing in life in general. Well, and a lot of that is preparation. Preparation is huge in mental skills, Absolutely. mental skill training. It's it's all about prep. You can't just go out there and initiate something in one in one time. You know, it's all it's all about preparing, repetition, and practice. Absolutely. And you know, you mentioned young quarterbacks. Let's talk about Mr. Terrell Pryor. <laughs> you got something to say about this? I, I know mean, you do. Uh, this kid, ninety-three yard touchdown, longest in NFL history. I, and out there at the, the Raiders, boy can move. right? The boy can move, and yeah. he enjoys doing it. You know, I love watching him play football, uh-huh. and, and I think that it's exciting to see these young guys out there making a difference. Um, you know, we've got Andrew Luck in Indianapolis upset the Denver Broncos, right? And I sure. think that that goes back to Cam Newton. I, I, you can say what you want about Cam <laughs> Newton. I love watching him play football. Yeah, hey, everybody loves a mobile QB. He's Anytime mo- you can create a, a double threat, you know, QB's yeah. obviously going to, if they're in the NFL, they're going to be able to pass the ball right. at, that, at that level. But having the ability to run is, is huge. It's such a dynamic uh, ability. And, and, you know, and then we bring in RG3, right? He's been injured. He's been in and out of that. Injuries but let's again. talk about let's talk about just the leadership skills of these young men, right? That they're coming in there with some guys, veterans, that, you know, they see a young cat come through the door and they're like, all right, here we go. What yeah. do you think you have to tell me? You know, and, and yet these 
young guys are there making a difference. They're having an impact. And I think that that's the most exciting thing I see uh, from these young guys that are being very versatile on the field, but they're making good decisions off the field as well and, and leading their teams in ways that are, that are having an impact. Well, and I think one of the most interesting things about this quarterback shuffle we got going on is that it's a weed-out process. We're going to find guys who are going to show up, these rookie quarterbacks or these these backups who are now in a starting position. We're going to find guys who step up to the plate, and mm-hmm. they, they either perform and lead, and we find you know the next generation of great quarterbacks, or we're going to you know weed out the ones who don't belong and can't cut it. Yeah, I agree. I think that it's, a, it's a, going to be something fun to watch how it shakes out. And yeah. I think it's going to take... Uh, pro- the rest of the season for sure, but probably a year or two until we really start seeing how things settle out. And, and then what our next recruiting class, or what the next, uh, not recruiting class, I mean college mindset right now. Draft. Draft. Draft, draft picks are going to be, yeah. because that was rough for quarterbacks last year as well from a draft perspective. Um, but let's move into the sports psych line. So, so we're talking about mindfulness, right? And this concept, and it seems very California, frou-frou, well, mindful we, yoga pants and straw mats. I think that would be the misconception, of course, that a lot of people take when they when they hear of mindfulness. You know, it sounds, it does sound California, you know, what do they call it, Taoist, you know, uh, Tai Chi kind of, in a, in a way, you know, you're, you're meditating. Uh, those are all, you know, it's true. It's an Eastern philosophy, but I think... The misconceptions that people bring into it, um, that it's drastic and, uh, you know, I can't exactly put the word on it because I guess I might have a right idea of what it is. <laughs> but it's just, it's it's uh, it's more than that and it's something that can be applied to every aspect of, of realistically anybody's life, whether you're performing or, or not, whether you're just walking down the street. Absolutely. And and just like you said, mindfulness is based out of this Eastern philosophy of meditation and, and Buddhism even is probably where it got its, its deepest ground. But from a sports and performance application standpoint, it's about being mindful, right? I mean, if we take if we take the take it from being a noun to being a verb, yeah. right? Yes. It becomes something now that can really be applied to being excellent on a consistent basis. Even when things outside of your internal world are might be going crazy. Well, the important thing to note here is that as it's been drawn from Eastern philosophy into Western philosophy, it's been adapted as a focus material and an attention uh, uh, piece. And anybody can use that. Everybody has to focus on something in their day. And, and being mindful just helps you be attentive, attentive of what is going on and focused on what you need to be focused on. Absolutely. Focus on the right things at the right time so that you can deliver whatever it is you need to get done. And I think an interesting thing that I got from this article by Brewer um, was it, it was a challenge necessarily uh, that can you focus on your breath and your breath alone? So that's relaxing the body, clearing the mind. Can you focus on your breath and count your breath up to seven? So count seven breaths and only focus on those breaths. And it seems kind of ridiculous and stupid easy, but when you actually sit there and do it, it becomes very difficult. Even after like two or three breaths, your mind starts to wander and you, you lose, you can lose focus just, just like that. And all you're doing is focusing on breathing and counting those breaths to seven. It's, it's amazing how difficult it can actually be. Nobody claims that mindfulness is easy. If anybody that knows anything about mindfulness, they're going to claim that it's difficult and it's something that takes practice and repetition. Absolutely. So that's a challenge to our listeners right now. So Ryan just mentioned being able to focus on your breath 
seven breaths, right? So, so find yourself, you know, a comfortable spot either in your office chair or in your car in the morning before you, you before you start driving, preferably, <laughs> <laughs> right? We need you to be mindful of not hitting anyone, but find that spot where you can just sit there, breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth and focus on your breath seven times. And, and just, it's starting to train your mind to, to be attentive to something. And if it's, if it wanders, just let that thought go and bring it right back. It's okay. It's difficult. It's, it's not easy, right? But that's one way to just start practicing being mindful. Now I'll give you another example of being, um, it's about awareness, right? And so being aware of what's going on around you. And uh, the Notre Dame lacrosse team was in town last week and we had an opportunity to do some networking with them. And they, they did um, the mile run up the mountain down by Colorado Springs area at 6 a.m. on Sunday morning. And they're all already, it was Friday, and they were completely like anxious about having to do this and very frustrated. And I was like, guys, here's the thing. You're going to climb this mountain at 6 in the morning, and it's going to be cold, and but it's going to be beautiful. And I want you to do, I want you to find three things you see, three things you hear, and three things you feel while you're doing this. And just be mindful of this awesome opportunity um, that you have out in the state of Colorado that a lot of kids don't have. And that's an excellent point about mindfulness is being in the present moment. Absolutely. Seeing three things, hearing three things, right? And yeah. And what was the other? See, feel, and hear. See, feel, and hear. And those three things are just putting you in the moment that you're in right now. You're not thinking about what you did last night. You're not thinking about what you know you have ahead of you for practice the next week. It's It's just being in that moment and not letting the anxiety from those other moments ruin this one. Yeah, I, I, um, I visited Colorado during fall break when I was in, in undergrad and I took like a thousand pictures cause I'd never been to the Rockies before. And I was like, Oh my God. And this guy was with, um, one of our buddies, there was like a group of eight of us. Right. And I'm taking all these pictures, my girlfriends and I, and, and he goes, will you guys just stop taking pictures and look Such tourists. and look at this? <laughs> yeah. And that really struck me to, you know, take a picture in my mind that nobody can take away from me. I can't lose this picture with my camera. You know, I lost my camera. I deleted my pictures off my computer a million times. How many times have we done all that stuff? And if I had, you know, being mindful is about, okay, just pause for a second and take this all in. Ryan didn't notice the heater that's clicking in this little room we're in right now. I was so in the moment. In. I wasn't even distracted. Right. <laughs> and, you know, but, and I think that as performers, we need to, to train our minds to be aware of what we're doing, to focus on what we need to focus on, and then execute. Yeah, and I, I guess moving back to the article, after we've just given a wonderful overview of mindfulness, <laughs> the article was talking about how you use mindfulness and how you train yourself to be mindful. And what the, the big point here was that a lot of what we do in Western culture is based on uh, reward-based learning. So it's, you know, uh, what do I have here? It's, you know, you have a trigger, a behavior, and then a reward. It's, it's simple behaviorism. And what they were trying to do was use that concept of reward-based learning to teach yourself mindfulness. And I guess the, the key here is that in the West and realistically everywhere, we're subject to a lot of sensual pleasures. So we, we like things that, that feel good, that taste good, that smell good, that kind of stuff. But it's not always good for us. Smoking is a huge example here. Okay. You know, smoking makes people feel good. I don't personally smoke, but... You know, it's something that people say makes makes them feel good, and that's why they do it. But in the end, smoking causes more stress than it relieves. In, in the moment, smoking feels good, but in the long run, cancer doesn't feel pretty good. And, you know, not being able to uh, run as far doesn't feel very good. And, you know, maybe alienating someone who you appreciate 
by the way you, you know you smoke or, uh, those things can can cause pain and stress and that's the point here and i guess the example that they use which i thought was ingenious is that you're standing in a snowstorm okay and someone tosses you a hot coal now it's it's a piece of warmth and it's going to warm you up but it's also going to burn you you know yeah. and it seems simple to think about it in that concept that what what's the right answer here the hot coal sure it's keeping you warm but it's also hurting you what do you do you should drop it like it's going to it's going to it's going to inflict pain you should you should stop it but you don't want to because then you're going to be cold again you know but in the long run being cold is better than burning your hands assuming you're not going to die in the snowstorm but for the sake of the example okay and it seems easy to just quit these things but it gets back to that peace of mindfulness and sensual pleasures as well that they're not easy to quit because it seems in the moment that it's the right thing to do so taking that back and that's your reward-based learning right there taking that back to how you use that concept in mindfulness is that uh there's seven steps and these are based on the eastern philosophy I cannot pronounce the word which they from I didn't even write it down but they're they're, they're books from the eastern uh Buddhist um Buddhist meditation philosophies and there's seven steps and following these seven steps keys in reward-based learning number one is mindfulness and that's simply being attentive to what is going on in your body around you just being aware so the next piece is to be curious they call it investigation so you you investigate what those feelings are what those sights are what those uh things you see are and you're curious about them next is energy and then joy and then tranquility and concentration and equipoise and the the example that they used for this was reading a good book and this is this is what the point here is is to be mindful but all of these things reinforce mindfulness it's a, it's a circular reasoning here and so when you're reading a good book you begin reading and you're mindful of it and then you start to investigate it by you know continuing on and reading more and being curious about what happens next in the book okay and then as you're doing that energy naturally arises because you want to see what happens you want to keep reading you're curious about what's going on and so you naturally have energy to keep going and then as the book gets good you become enraptured you enjoy it and then you become tranquil you're peaceful sitting on the couch reading the book sometimes you can read up until 3 a.m you can read and sit there for hours that's concentration and then lastly is the um the concept of living in the present moment you're okay with that you you're just in that moment in the book you're not distracted by maybe your cat walking by you're not distracted by other thoughts from other moments you're just okay with concentrating enjoying it being peaceful and continuing to do so while being mindful of just that moment just that word just that sentence in the book at that time yeah that's and that's key i mean who wouldn't want to live that way right and, yeah. and the point is i mean we can do this stuff we train it just like we train our bodies physically. Again, we train our minds mentally. And this is a way that we can train ourselves to be at peace. And, and this isn't saying you have to take a whole day to do it. I mean, you practice this, right, to get to the point where you are, you know, you're in your car driving to a sales meeting and you're about to get out to walk in and go pitch a big presentation. And you are now, you've trained your mind that you can sit there for two minutes and get yourself in that peaceful, tranquil spot then get your energy exactly where you need it to be successful and walk in and go baller status. And see, that's that's exactly another huge part is that when you're in there, in the moment, doing the presentation, you're living in it, you're, you Absolutely. have the energy to keep pursuing in it, you're enjoying it because you're doing so well. Right. 
and you're just aware. And if this is something that sounds interesting to you, there's a there's a pop culture-ish book, but written by someone who's done a lot of research around this, um, called Wherever You Go, There You Are by John Kabat-Zinn. So if it's if this mindfulness concept is something you want to read more about and, and get some concepts of how to apply it to your world and your life, again, Wherever You Go, There You Are by John Kabat-Zinn. All right, well, that wraps up our sports psych line. So moving on to the fan play call of the day. Who do you have for the college football national championship and then the NFL Super Bowl? So what do you got for us, Ryan? So we're going to take our own personal. We're, we're taking uh, our sides own personal, and I've okay. got a couple. I've got a couple text ins. Right. Um, I guess for the. Gosh, it's so early to say. Um, I'm going to give a shout out for the NFL Super Bowl because I, I'm a little indifferent. I, I would like uh, the Broncos to take it, you know, all the way. But at the same time, they're going to have to meet with the Chiefs. And I'm going to alienate one of my friends here, but currently I'm going to have to go with the upper hand and the record status of, uh, what is it, is it 6-0, 7-0 for the Chiefs now? They haven't lost a game. I, I'm i afraid that I didn't look this up, but I'm not necessarily a Chiefs fan, but my roommate's a Chiefs fan, so go Chiefs. Chiefs are going to take the Super Bowl. Oh, uh, I'm, I, I might put the Chiefs in there with you, but I'm going to go with the Broncos. I think they're I think they're too deep. They've got the general back there as QB, and as long as he stays healthy, um, they're going to reorganize. I think that, again, I'm big on leadership, and he's got that, that card in his hand, and I think that uh, the, the Broncos are going to come out on top of the Super Bowl this year. With that said, uh, Chiefs or Seahawks? And if it's not the Seahawks this year, I'm going to tell you what, those boys are getting a title in the next couple years because there are some amazing things going on in that organization. It's hard to not like the Seahawks when you know what's going on there. It's, it is, we, and we'll talk more about that on another podcast because That's there's good. a lot a to topic. talk about mm-hmm. what's going on up in Seattle. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm going to get, oh, I'm going to go off on a tangent because I'm obsessed with them right now. Go um, for but it. we'll talk go about it, it later. But between, you know, Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll and, and the whole kind of concept they have going on up there, they're, they're, they're going to have a Super Bowl, couple Super Bowl rings on them in the next, in the next couple years, I think. Tying this back to where we were with the quarterback situation earlier in the show yeah. was uh, young leadership. Absolutely. And Russell Wilson has that. Amen to that. In and out. He, he is that guy. I worked down at IMG Academy this summer, and he was down there training um, or earlier. And it, it's just how he operates. He treats practice like it's the Super Bowl. And mm-hmm. that's the mindset that champions have. Well, and he, he also, as I understand it, he he's the same way with mental practice. Yeah, he is. Yeah. They, they've got a... Dr. Gervais goes up there and works with the Seattle Seahawks from a sports psychology perspective, and, and Wilson's on board with that. And mm-hmm. I think that it that that goes to show what they've got going on. Now, who do you have for uh, who do you have for college football? You know, <laughs> being from Oregon State, we're unfortunately out of the mix. I never really <laughs> thought we were going to be in the mix, but we're out of the mix. Okay, um, we're still hunting for some Pac-12 uh, rep- reputation and. and uh, the, we all know the big game coming up at the uh, the end of the season is the Civil War. If you if you understand the Pac-12, and uh, you know that could bring up the conversation of the Ducks. Okay. Now I think the Ducks have the firepower, and I think that they have the uh, they have the talent. Just flat out, they have the talent that I think they could beat anybody eight out of ten times. I, I would okay. throw that out there. But I don't think that they will, and I would never admit that the Ducks would win the <laughs> national championship because I don't really like them that much. It, it would go against my entire core belief, you know. But I will admit they are very good, and I hope we can just give them a game for the Civil War. But Ducks are out. Don't care if they're rated number two in the nation. 
They may go to the national championship, but unfortunately they will lose again if they do go. Now, who will win? That is a tough question, okay? I'm, I've been talking to a few people about this because Saturdays are my football days. A lot of people around here, Sunday is their football day. Saturday is my football day. And I got a question for you. How real do you think Clemson is? I think that's a good question. I think that, again, we talk about quarterbacks and leadership. Mm-hmm. They've got it. He's got an arm. He's mm-hmm. good. Um, but I don't think they're going to the national title. No, same question for Florida State. How real do you think Florida State is? Now, here we go. Yeah, I, and I uh, actually, one of my buddies, AJ, out of South Bend, he's, mm-hmm. he said, national championship, Florida State, Alabama. Hmm. And uh, I think that Florida State has some good stuff going on down there, too. They're, they're criminals. I'm from Notre Dame. They're criminals. But oh <laughs> at the same time, I think that I think they're a good football team. I yeah. think that they could give Alabama a run. But I, I unfortunately, I'm going to have to go with Roll Tide for the national title again. You know, I was purposely avoiding talking about it just because, I, I mean, I, know. I, I don't really have anything wrong with Alabama. I like the way they play. I, I like, I mean... I like the way they're coached, especially, and you know they're they're a solid team all around, and I I really appreciate that. But I just you know, it's it's dynasties. I like to see them die. You know, <laughs> you know what? I, we lost in the national title game against Carolina, so I'll I'll go for dynasty killers because <laughs> dang it, they still maintained against us. But yeah, yeah, yeah. but you know you know I think what's interesting though is that both Florida State and Alabama. Alabama spends $1.8 million a year on maintaining the mental game of their athletes and coaching staffs. Florida State, I don't know financially what they invest, but I know that they are heavily, um, they, they do a lot of mental conditioning work in their programs. And I think that that's encouraging for me to see as a sports psychology professional is seeing these people that are investing in the mental game of their athletes. And finding the success. And being successful. Yeah. Right? And so... Um, I, I think that that would be a fun matchup for, for me to watch as sure. both a football fan and an individual who works a lot in football. Sure, sure. Yeah, I don't think I've actually given you my answer yet. You haven't, you <laughs> haven't. You're dodging the bullet here. I, what do you think about Ohio State? Let me ask you oh, that. Oh, wow. Actually, you know, Ohio State's one that I like. Um, now, I couldn't tell you why. Um, and I generally... It's the silver helmets. They're well, kind of cool. Yeah, and they, I mean, they have that... Uh, I can't remember the name of their back, and they've had this dual quarterback situation that I don't know if it's resolved itself. Um, but either or, they have just two solid quarterbacks, and I think one of them actually got hurt, and then the other stepped up and was just as phenomenal. I hate myself for not remembering either of their names. But I like what's going on up in Ohio State, and I like, uh, I mean, I think I wrote down, they got a 20-game winning streak right now extending from last season. And they do. That's impressive, no matter who you are, and especially after, you know, the not being able to go to a bowl. Absolutely, and absolutely. And we talk about strength of schedule, and they don't have a they don't have a very solid strength of schedule. But I'll tell you what, winning twenty football games in a row is difficult, regardless of your strength of schedule. Now, so, so will they get the respect though? And I, I mean, and I don't think this they is will. something that is a whole other conversation about who gets respect throughout the nation. And I gotta you know victimize the Pac-12 here and say that we don't get the respect out there, and the SEC gets more than they deserve. But you know, in the end, I, I don't know if the the strength of schedule, it does matter, and it does show who can you know, prove to be the best. But at the same time, just because your schedule's weak doesn't mean that you are weak. Let's talk about a team that's undefeated right now, uh, Mizzou Tigers. Yeah, well, again, we're talking SEC here, and they've uh, proved themselves. They're new to the SEC, though. They've, they've proved you know themselves. What? And they this went through true. a beating. They, 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 that's true. So, and, and again, we're looking at a team that is heavily, heavily engaged in the mental game. 
to the point where they during they have practice jerseys with their mental conditioning cues written on them. I mean, it's exciting. I think that it goes to prove that what we do matters and, and it can impact the lives of these these kids on the field and off. And I love that you keep bringing that up. I love that the that the mental game is shown to be involved in successful programs, and I think that that's that does count for something, and it does make me happy. It makes me like each team that does that a little bit more. Um, but, you know, Tompkins, you know, real here about uh, Mizzou, they just lost their quarterback. They're on their backup. Okay. So, he, and he performed, I think, last week. But in the long run... And that's it. It's about staying healthy. Football's a, football's a battle game, right? Yeah. And so towards the end of the season, it's, it's what teams can stay healthy uh, the longest. And yeah. the you know working down with the IMG Academy team, they've had a they've had a great season for their first year with a football team down there. But they're beat up, and you know, and they're going into a game tonight. With shout out to all my IMG guys, good luck tonight. <laughs> You're gonna do excellent. I'm proud of you. <laughs> um, but but you Listen know, they're, in. they're hurt. They're hurt. Uh, they've got a couple guys that are injured, and they're going against a team that's healthy. And that sometimes that makes the difference. So yeah. All right, who do you have? Give it to me. Okay, I'm, I've procrastinated you, enough. I'm gonna go. Uh, Alabama-Oregon final, but Ohio State is also undefeated, but gets shafted and doesn't get into the final, okay? okay. So it's, or, did I, what did, did I say? You just said Alabama-Oregon. Okay, that's what I meant. Yeah, okay. I didn't mean that. I was just making sure. But Ohio State is the three. They don't get out. Florida State loses along the line somewhere in some fluke. So top three teams are undefeated. Alabama's number one. Oregon number two. They both go. Alabama takes it. It's a national championship that I don't even watch. All right. Summed up succinctly. It took him a while, but he got there. See what I did there? Yeah, I like it. It's called motivational interviewing, baby. (laughs) All right. Well, it has been awesome being here with you. Glad you could join us for our first Sports Psych podcast here with the Centerline. Um, As always, brought to you by the Center of Performance Excellence, where we are centered on performance. Driven on excellence. We're centered and driven, baby. Centered and driven. All right. God bless you and go Irish.